right, all right. How's everybody doing today? Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the, uh, one of the pastors here at LifePoint. If you're a guest today, man, we are so honored that you braved the elements and the season to be here with us. It's such an honor. I, I'll tell you what else is an honor for us today is um, our guest speaker is uh, here today. Um, this man and his wife are some of the best people that you'll know some of the smartest people that you'll know, and they pastor and lead a church in Santa Rosa, California called the Promise Center, which is just a fantastic uh, church. Um, you can check them out online. I promise you, 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 you can listen to this guy speak and you'll love it. Um, this is Pastor Chadwick King. I want him to come up real quick. This is his wife, Heidi. There's Jew, uh, Joshua, Emma, and Jude as well. Give them a big hand as well. We're so glad to have his beautiful family here. We love this guy. Give him a big hand. Amen. All right, 11.45 in the house. Come on, give yourselves a hand for showing up to church on the Sunday that no one's sure, is there even church on this Sunday between Christmas and New Year's? That means you are a Christian ninja. Give your, give your neighbor on the right and left, give him a little fist bump and say, you are a ninja warrior for Jesus. Thank you for showing up today. I love being with you guys. Wow, what a, what a great place. What a great experience. Presence of God is here. Great leadership. Don't you love your leadership? Come on, let's give, the, let's give them a hand. Just Danny and Rachel and the fam. I mean, it's one thing to have like highly gifted people, but when you have highly gifted and then also humble, like at the same time, like it's just special. And I got to, I was at their wedding. I didn't tell the first service this, but I was at the wedding and when Danny saying to his bride, I was like, I'm going to do that at my wedding. And then I sang to Heidi, and she's like, that was beautiful, but I don't want you singing at our wedding. You don't know how to sing. So, which is true. I want to have my family stand up really quickly, and, and this is my wife, Heidi, my, my oldest son, Joshua, Emma, and Mr. Jude the Dude, eight years old, and they, they love San Antonio. They're like knives. There's knife stores everywhere. So uh, we're loving it. We're from Santa Rosa, California, just 40 uh, miles north of the Golden Gate Bridge in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, we're here visiting family and friends and got to be in San Antonio over the weekend. So I think I'm more excited to be here with you guys uh, than, than uh, Pastor Danny is. I was like, can I please be a part of this? Because we're watching and following you guys on Instagram and Facebook and just seeing all that God is doing. You have a new building coming. And we just got into our new building about 14 months ago. And uh, the journey of getting into a building is super like crazy and tiring and, and there's a lot of stretching. But the miracles along the way of getting there, we've actually had people come and say, we got to do a building project again because there were so many awesome things that God did. I was like, slow your horses down. Give us at least two years. I, 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 was, a, I was like fully black beard, okay, four years ago, and uh, this is the building project. All that's building project, okay? But what we found, the goodness of the Lord was this, is that, is that the miracle is always in the house. The water to wine, the miracle wasn't outside the house. Jesus wasn't like, hey, let's go find a vineyard and, and make wine. It was vessels that were in the house, dirty vessels with dirty water. It's already in here. Or the, the feeding of the 5,000, like, we should go to town and get some food. We don't have enough money, but we should go to town. The answer's out there. And Jesus is like, Who, what do we have here? Got some loaves and fishes. It's already here. All that God has 
prepared. It's already in the house. It's already among us. And so as God is mining and calling those things out, those gifts and those resources, I'm going to tell you, there's miracles on the way. I want to speak this over you. There's miracles on the way. Amen. Let's be looking for those. Let's be watching for those. Let's be trusting God for those because God is going to use you in a supernatural way and bless your life through it. Thankful for a life-giving church in northern San Antonio. This part of San Antonio didn't even exist when I came around uh, 20 years ago, and uh, this is so cool to see expansion and growth and opportunity, and so thankful for, again, a life-giving church. Uh, I want to introduce uh, my family. I'll just kind of tell you about us. Number one is uh, we we have been pastoring for 13 years. Uh, God called me to marry Heidi, best thing I ever did, and then she was in California, so I was just smart enough to like, well, I'm going where you are, and then God put us in Santa Rosa. And uh, we've been on a journey, kind of a journey like you guys, just finding our lane, finding who we are, trying to be life-giving, trying to believe in transformation, trying to... create a, a culture of a church that's not churchy, you know what I'm talking about, but salty. We want to be salt and light, but not churchy. Can I get an amen from anybody? We're not a, we're not a, a, a church on a corner. We're a city on a hill. We're giving hope to the world. People far from God are coming and finding Jesus being transformed. And this is our heart, and this is, this is what we're all about. I got to tell a funny story about my daughter, Emma. When she was four years old, she went to my office, and she, she saw on my office desk was a coin, and this coin uh, was... Someone in our church had been sober for several years. I think like it was the 10-year coin with A-A-N-A and now Celebrate Recovery. And they put it on my desk. They were super proud. They just put it right there. And so my daughter goes in. She's four years old. She sees it. My secretary walks by and says, hey, uh, Emma, what are you looking at? She goes, look at this. Uh, This is pretty cool. This is awesome. She's thinking it's pirate gold or something. And it's a little little coin that looks different to her. And so my secretary tries to explain that this is someone who has was on drugs and now has been off drugs and the cool things that God does, yada, yada, yada. And all my daughter heard was drugs and money, and she ran through the church telling people that my dad has drug money in the office. And we survived that. We're still pastoring. It's amazing what God does, just the grace that he gives you. And, uh, and uh, we, we, we got through, we got through some, some uh, hills and valleys, and, and it's so fun being a part of the local church. I believe in the local church, and I believe God believes in his church. It's God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Can I get an amen from our 1145? All right, really quickly, I got to kind of, I'm working through this. This is, this is like therapy for me, but, but I've been working through this for like the last week or so, because I have now what has developed in me a, an anxiety about uh, buying gifts for people. Does anybody have an anxiety? Like, what do you get? Guys are a little bit easier. I found that, that guys with money, it's like money's the right color, it's the right size, right? But Buying for the ladies is so hard, and I've created these rules in my life, and I have four rules that I live by, and these have gotten me to 38 years of age with a lot of gray, but still surviving. Uh, the, the first one is this. I never wear Birkenstocks and white socks together. That's like a number one. You may not know what Birkenstocks are. Look it up. It's just don't ever wear them with white socks. Uh, num- number two <coughs> is never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Like, no matter what, even if she's on her way into the hospital to give birth, you assume it's a heart attack. If she's doing Lamaze, you just assume it's a heart attack. You do not assume that she's pregnant. Never ask a woman if she's pregnant, all right? That's, that's rule number two. Uh, number three is this. I've discovered that your wife, guys, this is for you, your wife will not stay upset with you if you're doing chores. A woman cannot stay mad at a man if he's washing the dishes and mopping the floor. Can I get an amen from the ladies in the house? 
This is I'm, this, the preaching has already started. Okay, this is this is this is good news here, and and then uh, last but not least, um, always always when you're buying clothes for uh, the ladies, uh, always go about two sizes too small. Okay, a couple years ago, I got my mother-in-law, I got her a sweater, my mother-in-law sweater from Kids Gap, and she loved it. She was like, "I'm not this small, but thank you, Chad." You know, and so uh, that always works. So I'm learning how to do the gift thing and uh, how to how to how to survive in this this crazy world. All right, I want to turn your attentions really quickly to Matthew chapter 7 and 24, Matthew chapter 7 and 24, and um, we're going to kind of dive into, again, uh, it's a sermon, we're going to peek into uh, the greatest preacher's greatest sermon, uh, most well-known, and this is the end, this is how he lands the plane, and it's kind of a warning, but it's also kind of like a call to action for us to, to hear, to understand what our next step is, and, and how to implement success, spiritual success, in our lives. So here we go. Matthew 7 and 24, it says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So let's think about that. Those who hear these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It fell with a great crash. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And today my message is simple. It's, it's very practical. It's this, information to action ratio. Those who hear my words and puts them into practice. It's the information to action ratio. We're gonna kind of talk about this together today. And I'm when I talk about works today and action, I'm not I'm not talking about working for salvation. That's a that you are saved by works, but not your works. You're saved by the finished work of Jesus. Amen. And uh, we 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 don't we don't uh, behave to receive salvation, but we believe to receive the finished work of Jesus. But today I'm going to talk about I'm going to put a little strive in you and put a little a little challenge in you today. And I want to call to action something what I believe your faith to rise up and to step into what God intended for your life. Amen. So will you bow your heads? Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We honor you. We honor your word. We honor this church as gathering. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that's here. I pray that your your word would be amplified, your name would be amplified, and that you would speak to our hearts. Let your word fall into good ground and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name, we pray, and everybody say, amen. So my wife and I, we are, we're partners in everything. Like we, we, we work together. I'm so thankful for a wife who writes my sermons and, and teaches me English. And she, she's really amazing. And, uh, but she's a homeschool teacher. She homeschools our three kids. She's the teacher. I'm the principal. I'm the disciplinary. You know what I mean? And uh, yes, we homeschool, which means our kids know how to, know how to um, churn butter and, you know, that kind of stuff. Little House on the Prairie. You've seen it. And that's, that, so we're thankful for our kids. Um, Milk the cow, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but we also share in the responsibilities of the home. And uh, my wife is the decorator, and, and she does a fabulous job. She makes our home such, 
she makes it alive and it's full and every season like like as soon as like like November 1st comes like the trees are out and and like every like 3 weeks we get like a new tree arrives and we're decorating and it's it's full of life. I'm the handyman around the house, right? And so she's decorating, I'm the handyman. So something's broken, I'm going to try to fix it the best that I can. The thing I don't like about it is is that that the decorations people come over like this is amazing, great job Heidi, but no one sees the squeaky door that was fixed. That's not squeaking anymore and says great job handyman. Okay. Okay. So that's my only only problem with that. But when we first bought our house in, in, in Santa Rosa, back when we first moved to Santa Rosa, uh, we bought an old 1933 house, all right? Because they said, own an old house, that'll be fun. Own an old house and you'll learn how to build a house, right? And you'll learn about plumbing and, and crawl spaces and attics and leaks, okay? And so we were, I was like, yeah, let's do that. That was wonderful. And so uh, we got this house and, and we loved it. It was a blessing for several years. We bought this house and there was this crack up the wall and part, partly through the ceiling, right? And it was like, this is gonna be easy, right? Like the handyman knows how to do this. Caulking and paint makes a carpenter what he ain't. I'm just gonna caulk the fire to that thing paint the fire out of that thing, and it's going to go away. About nine to 12 months later, that crack starts coming back. Now, at first, I thought it was the devil. I thought the devil was after us. I thought the devil was trying to hinder us. The devil is in the wall, but it wasn't. And so we go, okay, let's do it again. I didn't put enough caulking, so just pull that old caulking off. Just really get that caulk gun and just push it right in there and really get it deep into that crack and paint it over and it's gone. Of course, the paint that I used was a different kind of white, so you could see the line, but you couldn't see the line. The crack was gone until finally, right, it comes back about another year later, and so I call a friend who is, you know, his dad's a carpenter. I'm like, come on, man, can you you help me with this? Because I can't have my wife being like, hey, you know, Jessica's husband knows how to build a house. Can you just get the crack gone? So I was like, you got to help me, and so he's like, well, the answer is more caulking and more paint. Duh, and I was like, Duh. And so we do it again. And year, finally, year three, four, like we finally, we need a professional. This thing is like opening like wide open and it's, nothing's working here. And I don't want to start like using staples to try to keep this thing together. So we get a professional, we bring him in and he looks at it. He's like, hey, you don't have a wall problem. You don't have a ceiling problem. You have a foundation problem. Your foundation is moving and it's breaking and you have a foundation problem and it's not a wall problem and it's not a ceiling problem. And uh, that was such great news because I was like, man, I would really just, uh, I want to spend thousands of dollars on a foundation. This is great, awesome. Um, But the truth is, is like with this simple principle, Jesus is so good at getting to the heart of the matter to go subterranean on us, to, to dig deep to what the real issue is. is A lot of times we as Christians, we look at the symptoms, we look at the surface and we go, hey, there's a wall problem, there's a ceiling problem. When the truth is, a lot of the times uh, our, our issues of spiritual formation or, or how the dysfunction or the lack of spiritual health or whatever kind of health, it, it's not a symptom, it's a foundational problem. It's something deep from within. And, and Christianity is not us coming together doing kumbaya and pretending everything is okay. Okay, it's not us coming together and go, everything's cool, and we're just fist bumping and praise the Lord, brother. It's about us coming together and going, you know what, there's some things deep inside that God wants to change and God wants to heal. Why? Because my marriage will never be healthier than me. My ministry will never be healthier than me. My life will never be healthier than me. And God is trying to bring spiritual formation and health to the inner man. 
extent, to the inside. How's your inner world doing, right? Because the, the external world will be an expression of your internal world. So what we do here, what we do here at church, church is not about entertainment, right? Church is about spiritual formation and growth. So Jesus has a way of dealing with the issue. He has a, a way of getting to the point. That's why the Holy Spirit will work through a service and all of a sudden he keeps touching that area and it's like, ow, that hurts. Oh, that keeps coming up. Why does that keep coming up? Because God will reveal the areas that he wants to heal. He wants to go deeper, right? Because he wants to deal with the issue, the root of the matter. For instance, if you had this, God forbid, this big, you know, thing growing on your shoulder and you went to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, no big deal. We'll just put a cloth over it, a big Band-Aid, and we'll give you some, uh, you know, ibuprofen or oxycotton or some morphine and we'll just take the pain away. You'd be like, no, I don't want to just like pretend it's not there and, for, you know, just take care of the symptoms, right? I want to, I want you to do a biopsy. I want you to do an x-ray. I want you to find out what the issue is, right? And that is what Jesus is talking about here. We got to get to the heart of the matter. It's not about symptoms. It's about spiritual formation and true spiritual growth, building a life that lasts, building a life that matters, building a life that impacts others, right? And that's why, like, our gathering, this gathering is so important. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, How many here have a favorite band, the favorite band? All right, and you and you can't say it's this band, okay? We know that that's your favorite band, but but you have another favorite band. Who's your favorite band? Say it out loud, real quick. Journey, Death Leopard, okay. Third Day, like it. Got some real Christians in the back. Hallelujah, amen. I'm just kidding. My favorite is Chicago, the Peterson Tourist Chicago from the '80s. Come on, anybody? Come on, that that's like that's the that's the real juice right there. And let me ask you this question: Your favorite band? moves to your neighborhood, sets, sets up shop, and says, you know what, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna play a concert every Sunday morning. How many times a month do you go? How many times a month do you go? I mean, you may go, like, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it this week. We'll do it the next week. And then pretty soon, the entertainment value starts to diminish. This is not about entertainment. Like, what we do at church is not about being entertained. There's no new tricks. There's no new hat with, like, a new bunny. This is about spiritual formation. That's why we keep coming. That's why you, the Christian warrior ninjas, come on the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, right? It's because it's spiritual formation. It's about cadence. It's about digging deeper. It's about what is God doing. It's about legacy. It's about, it's about investment. It's about I see a future. What is God building? What, how am I partnering with God, and what is he doing in my life? And so that, that's the difference about the church. The church, is, the church is God's idea, and I love the church. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for a life-giving church. But the church also is only as healthy as the people in it. So there's two kind of men here in this story. There are, number one, there's the guy who's unwise. He builds his house on the sand. And I don't believe that at any point he was like, you know what, I want to build a life that will, will crumble in, in several years. I just want to build a life that, that when the storm comes, like everything is just devastated. I'm devastated. Everything I've worked for is gone. I don't believe he started with that, right? Uh, the other guy, he... He built his house upon a rock. He anchored his house to something bigger than himself, something stronger than the house, something stronger than himself, right? And so you have two different men, maybe both the same desired outcome, but two diametrically different outcomes. And it all began at the starting point. It was how they began. And it's interesting to me that that a decision long ago can determine my success today. And decisions that I'm making today will determine my success in the future. Because we're not just making decisions, we're made by our decisions. Decisions, not desire, determines 
my destiny. And so decisions are important. We got to, every decision I make and every action that I take has an implication and ultimately a manifestation. I was reading, I know this is late, but I was, I got a hold of the Army Corps engineering report from the the Katrina hurricane uh, from 2000, uh, uh, I can't remember the year, but the the report was uh, uh, 2007. And I was reading through it and it was just really interesting about like whose fault was it, what happened, who knew what. And the report came out, it came out and essentially said this, that the problem wasn't 10 years before uh, Hurricane Katrina. It wasn't 20 years. It began 50 years before the hurricane. That there was an idea and design for levees and, and water walls, but because of politics and money and underfunding, yada, 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 it wasn't built right. It didn't start right. And so you trace it back to a decision and decisions that were made long ago that were only revealed when the storm came. Only when the pressure came was that bad decision revealed. And here's what God wants for you, and this is what we want for you. We want you to outlast the storm. Because when the storm comes, you will either stand, you will either stand tall and your life will be able to outlast the storm or the storm will blow through and your life and and all the things that you're working for will tumble and you'll have to start over again and that's not God's best for you. Some people come to church, it's like, I gotta start over again. Here I am, Lord, here I am. This is your servant who, who, who you know, fell off the path, yada, yada, yada. God, God has more for you. We as believers, we're called to a high calling and many of us are living at a low altitude. God's calling us up. God's calling, to big, calling us to bigness and greatness. God doesn't have a small purpose for your life. He has a big purpose for your life. He told Abraham, get out of the tent, look up to the stars, look at the sand, can you number them? No, that... This is why, Abraham, because your life is bigger. Your calling is bigger than you, and only I can do it. And I love this little statement. You can't build a skyscraper life on a chicken coop foundation. You can't. you got to get anchored to something bigger, something greater, and that's God's best for you. Storms are going to come, and you have a spiritual family that's here ready to stand with you. Why? Because we've all been through storms. We know what it's like when the pressures come. And when they come, the Bible says it came, winds blew, the rain came down, the streams rose. Like it came from every side. The streams were rising, winds were blowing, rain was, every side it came. And it feels like when the storms come, it comes from every area of life. But you're gonna make it because you've been called to make it. So let's walk this out. This statement in this passage, for years I, I read it, and I misinterpreted it. I, I thought, well, he who hears the word and plants his life on the word and anchors his life to the word, that's the guy who makes it. And the guy who didn't show up to church and didn't hear the word, that's the guy who built his life on the sand. And I read it, and I started going, wait, this is different than the way I first read it in my mind. This is he who hears my words and then puts them into practice is the wise man. So it was information in, action out was the man who built his life on the rock. The man who heard, he was there, he heard the same message, he he heard the same call, the same call to action. He heard it, he knew it, he understood it, but he did not put it into action or to practice. That's the one who ultimately had nothing to stand on. There was nothing erected strongly that the storm could uh, couldn't knock down. And so I want to give you a couple authors here, and, and this will be, you can look these up online. I'm sure you can uh, read these books for yourself. 
some, some fascinating ideas about our culture. Now, you and I know that our culture is changing. Life is changing quickly. But uh, Buckminster Fuller, he, he's, he was an architect. He invented the geodesic uh, dome, which is the Epcot Center dome. Um, he's a futurist, system theorist, and he wrote a book called The Critical Path, okay? And he basically came up with the, the, the term knowledge doubling curve. Anybody heard of the knowledge doubling curve? Basically, the cumulative knowledge in the world, when it doubles, they mark when it doubles. So from the days of Jesus to when the cumulative knowledge of the days of Jesus to when it doubled again, they said it was 1,500 years, a millennial and a half before knowledge doubled. The cumulative world knowledge doubled. It took 1,500 years. Then after that 1,500 years, it took 250 years for it to double again. And then it doubled every 100 years up until World War II. And then it doubled every 25 years, so the mid-90s. And then the mid-90s, it started doubling about every 18 months. And now, uh, Google strategists and other people are saying that not, the cumulative knowledge of the world is doubling now every 12 hours. Every 12 hours. And so then you have a, a second author, Thomas Friedman, Freedom, journalist from the New York Times. And he wrote a book called Thank You for Being Late. And, and, and he talks about, and he coined this phrase, the age of acceleration. And he talks about how society is now feeling overwhelmed with all the information that it's receiving. How many would say, that's true? I feel like there's tons of information. Like everywhere I look, even my iPhone's like, hey, this is the news. This is what's happening. Oh, this, your, your, your mother just went to Shipley's Donuts and, 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 and ate four donuts. And how do I know that? Why, am, why do I know that? But it's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. All this information. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about this? It's, it's everywhere. And I'm just being inundated. And he says this, we, we don't even know how to feel or process all the information that's coming our way. I was doing a project with Jude, and he, he corrected me again because when I was doing the project with Josh, again, we homeschool, we're going through the solar system, right? And with Josh, Pluto was a planet. And then with Emma, it was just a, a meteor, right? And now it's a planet again. And then Jude told me, no, they just decided again it's not a planet. I'm like, I, I, I give up. I don't, even, I don't even know. I don't know if Pluto, what Pluto is. I don't even want to know. Whatever you say is right, we'll do the diagram however you say, Mr. Jude, my eight-year-old, right? It changes so much. Information. Grandma, a uh, couple months ago, gets, she decides to not have a landline. She decides to get a phone. She didn't get a smartphone. She gets a flip phone. Can I get an amen from anybody who has a grandma with a flip phone? And she's like, this thing's complicated, right? And it just it doesn't stop evolving. It just keeps going. And, 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 and what he says is we can't even evolve fast enough. We can't even adapt fast enough to all the changes that are happening. And now there's this information anxiety in our culture and in our world. And finally, Neil Postman, cultural commentator, media critic from uh, NYU, his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he coined the phrase, information to action ratio. And by this, he meant how much information we put into action in our life based on the information that we receive. And this is a quote from his book. The tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought, sold, or be used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, direct at no one in particular, but disconnected for you to, from, uh, from usefulness. We are glutton with information, drowning in information, and have no control over it and don't know what to do with it. And he, he contributes the change in our culture. It began not with a smartphone, not with a computer. It started with the telegraph. He said this was the first time that we got information from a far country in real time. Back in the day, you got news, and the news was, hey, there was a war. It's over, and now it's history. 
Now you're getting information real time. It's like, hey, right now, something big's going on, and I get connected to that emotionally, but I can do nothing about it. So it's like, back in the day, you know, you lived in these communities, it was like, Joe's barn's on fire. Joe's barn's on fire. And what would they do? They would grab buckets, fill them up with water, and go help Joe. Now it's Joe's house is on fire. Hashtag no more barn fires on my watch. We're going to march. We're going to put something on Instagram and let people know no more barn fires. I can't believe it. We're not processing information right. And now he says we've been desensitized with all the information, things all around the world that we have no control over. So what it's caused in our culture is high information, low action ratio. We've become inoculated. And now we are in a place where our muscle memory is, I I could be moved by something emotionally, but I don't have to do anything. And this becomes a problem when we look at the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus is action. The call of Jesus is to step into purpose. There's this rule in this law called inertia. The word inertia comes from the Latin, which means lazy. The law of inertia is, is, is acting right now with this table. This table is lazy. It's not moving. The law of inertia says it's not moving until an outside force moves it. Now, I can will to move it, but that doesn't move it. It's when I take my will and create action, I can move it. A thing, uh, an object will remain in that state until an outside force changes its state. Or, mo- or, 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 or the law of motion will create a new motion in a new direction, yada, yada, yada. The point is this, is that action is the heart and soul of the gospel. The gospel begins with go. It is go into all the world. And so we live in a high information, lots of great preaching, lots of great teaching. Thankful, are you thankful for a pastor who loves the word and loves to teach and give you handlebars on how to maneuver through life and bring the gospel into the real world, et cetera, et cetera? Aren't you thankful for that? Yet, we hear great teaching and preaching, and yet we have high information, low action. And we as believers, we've got to change this. We have to be intentional about changing it. Or we'll end up like the church in Jerusalem where James has to kind of scold them a little bit. He says this, James 1 and 22. James 1 and 22 says this, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what, forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's in the doing of what I've heard. It's in my response to the gospel. It's in my response to Jesus. It's in the action I take. That is what changes me. That's what creates transformation. So I have this I'm going to put up real quick. Information plus inspiration does not equal transformation. We'll put that up on the screen. Information plus transformation does not equal, I'm sorry, information plus inspiration does not equal transformation. But information plus application equals transformation. So it's not the inspiration plus the information. It's when information plus application comes, that's when transformation happens. I can get up here on a unicycle and juggle knives 
and then and you'd be like, wow, I'm so inspired. I can get off the unicycle, put the knives down, and be like, guys, if I can juggle knives on a unicycle, you can do anything you want. Now go out there and be the best Christians you want. You know, you need to be. And you'd be like, I'm so inspired. But if you're inspired, but you don't apply what you've learned, it produces nothing. And this is the conundrum. This is the tension that we live in. The tension between the wise man and the unwise man who has to be deliberate about doing what we know. How many here have ever given advice to someone and they're like, hey, what should I do? What, I gotta, and, and all of a sudden, you start giving advice. It's like, this is amazing. It's just pouring out of you. It's just like rivers of, of wisdom. And you're like, you ought to do this. And you're done. You're like, my God, I ought to be a counselor. That was so good. I wish I recorded that. It's beautiful, beautiful what I said. God bless those words, right? And yet, it's so hard to implement the wisdom you give others for yourself. Like, we all know what we ought to do to lose 40 pounds. Someone came to me the other day, like, how do I lose weight? They were healthier and skinnier than I was. I was like, here's what you do, three steps. And I'm like, wait a second, what's happening here? You know, we know a lot of stuff, but it's the application and the action that makes the difference. So in the Bible, I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but in the Bible, what you're going to find over and over again is low information to high action over and over again. Hebrews 11 and 8, by faith, Abraham, when he when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. So God's like, hey, I want you to go on a journey. Where am I going? I'm, I'm not really telling you. Just go that direction. What? I need to know the zip code. How am I supposed to dress? Am I going to wear a rain jacket or a swimsuit? Should I have my boots on or my tennis shoes on? Low information, high action. The Hebrews, right, who are God's bringing out of Egypt, this big deliverance, this huge exodus. He's like, guys, I need you to pack. You're leaving tomorrow. He's like, I need you to put your shoes on, pack your bags, have your clothes ready to leave in the morning. Pharaoh has not given the decree saying they can go yet. He's like, but I need you to create an action that comes into agreement what I've promised you is gonna happen. Remember back in the day when you were a kid and your parents would dress you before you went to bed because they were gonna leave early in the morning to go on a trip and they'd take your limp body and put you in the car, right? That was before we had to wear seatbelts as a law, right? 40 people in the back of a truck, right? No seatbelts. Those are the good days, right? And they would dress you like we're leaving in the morning. We're going to Indianapolis and we had a, it's a long drive. Be ready. You got your shoes on, your, you know. And this is what God does. He goes, we're leaving in the morning. But I need some action that quantifies your belief in what's about to happen. Why? Because belief, right, plus action equals faith. Let's put that up on the screen real quick. Belief plus action equals faith. This is a big idea because a lot of us think of faith and belief as the same thing. Well, I believe, I have faith. Faith is the action. It's the momentary action based on the belief. I can believe in something, but my faith is the action taken based on that belief. I believe I'm healed. Awesome. But faith says, hey, I'm calling the doctor for another, for another test. That's an action of faith that says, I really do believe. And this is all through the Bible. 
By faith, Sarah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. All through the Bible, by faith. It was faith action. And so what I want to implore you today, this is what I want to put in your lap and I want to put in your hands. I want to say that when the word is preached and when you are inspired and when you hear about next steps, I want you to start taking action. 2019 is your year to step into maybe growth track, maybe being in a small group or leading a small group. You've been wanting to do it. You believe that God's best is for you. But the action is the point of faith where God starts to bring blessing on your life. God needs action to be able to bring commerce because the moving currency of heaven and the kingdom of God is not belief, it's faith. Faith moves heaven. Miracles happen because of faith, not belief. In fact, there's a scripture that's misquoted often, and it's this. Oh, ye of little faith. Think about this with me. Oh, ye of little faith. And then Jesus says, if you would have just had the faith of a mustard seed. Wait, you just said, oh, ye of little faith. And now you're saying, if I just had the faith of a mustard seed. But the scripture really says, and many translations get it right, it is, oh, ye of unbelief. If you just had the faith of a mustard, if you just had an action, that said, I believe this, you can move a mountain. Action makes a big difference. Signing up for a small group, you know, we've all done that, and you show up to that door, you don't even know who they are. The weird knock. Who's gonna be on the other side of the door? We had someone at our church say, it was the strangest thing, going to a house, a home we've never been to, knocking on a door, we're gonna do community with these people, and then, Two or three weeks, our lives were changed. We took an action. We step of faith, and it changed us. Getting into growth track, a step of action. That's what we have next steps. And we found in our, in our community of faith is that the people who are creating action, the ones who are stepping out and making the next steps, those are the ones that when the, when the fire comes and when the storms come, those are the ones standing. It's the ones who go, I can quote that. It's be like my son, Josh, go, go clean your room. Go clean your room. He runs upstairs. 30 minutes later, comes back down. Sorry, Josh, to use you an example. Comes back down. Dad, I did it. What is it, son? I learned how to say, go clean your room in Greek and in Hebrew. No, 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 you're not getting it. I need you to clean your room. Runs back up. Comes back down. Dad, guess what? I learned where bedrooms come from. And I studied it on Wikipedia so you know it's right. No, no, son, you don't getting it. I know you know a lot about it now. I need you to clean your room. And God's waiting for us to just take that next step. Some of you are just one step, one action from stepping into God's best, the bigness of what God has for you. And I want to implore you and call you to this, that it's not just hearing the word, but it is activating and acting on the word. Can I get a big amen in the house? Amen, amen, amen. Our team come up. And as the, as the worship team comes up, I, I'm not proud of this story, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I brought a, a guy from our church a couple years ago to the ARC conference, a church planning community, and it was uh, really great for him to be there. And we're in the middle of worship, and he leans over, and he's like, Pastor, I feel like God just told me to pray for somebody's left foot. There's a pain between their two small toes. And I'm just like, he's like, is your foot hurting? I was like, "Uh, no. I was like, let's just keep this between you and I. We'll just pray for everybody in the room. 
At least that's what I was thinking. And then he, he turns to the person behind us. He's like, hey, is your foot hurting? I just feel like God wants me to pray for someone with their, I know this sounds weird. And it was probably even strange for him to like feel this. And, and I was like, oh my God, he's doing it. He's gonna ask everybody in our 360. It's gonna happen. And so he asked like one or two more people. And I was like, oh my God, he is embarrassing me. Lord, just muzzle his mouth right now. Just muzzle his mouth. Come on, focus on worship. Focus on worship. So, the, so he kind of stopped after asking two or three people. And then after the service, you know, I'm like, hey, let's get going. Let's get going. I want to get him out of there as quick as possible because he probably would have asked everybody. And he finally, like, oh, let me ask one more person. He turns to his left and he asks the guy, he says, hey, do you have pain in your foot? And I'm listening and I'm like, here it is, Lord. Just encourage him as he, he missed it. He missed it today. And the guy said, you know what? It's the craziest thing. For, I, got, I had an injury in the last couple of days. My left foot... The, between these two toes, there's this pain that's not stopped shooting. And I was like, yeah, I'm with him, so we're here to pray for you right now if we just lay hands and bless you. You know what I mean? And we prayed, and, and, and God just did this really cool miracle and just reminded me that faith is belief plus action. And it makes a difference. It's the mustard seed. It's the, it's the thing that turns into bigness. And God wants bigness for your life. And it starts with small actions. In fact, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, it, it may start with the small action of just saying yes to him. Well, I don't, I, I don't know what tomorrow will hold, and I don't know what, what it means to be a Christian. You, you don't have to. That's the cool thing. God has tomorrow in his hands for you. But it's today. What will you do with knowing that there's a God who is crazy about you, who is scheming to bless you, we had a debt we could not pay, and he came and paid a debt that he did not owe. So sins could be paid, so you could have a relationship with God. That's the best deal on heaven and earth. But it's one small step, one action item that changes everything. Hearing, doing. And this is what it says in Hebrews 1, or Hebrews 11 and 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That faith, the action, is the evidence of what you really believe. Is you going, this is my evidence. God, I believe I'm healed, so I'm going to get another MRI. God, I believe you've called me to, to be a leader, so I'm going to growth track. I want to be a part. And it starts off small. And it's an action. And that's what a community of faith is. We're, we're creating all these opportunities, small, easy, next steps for you to step into action to exercise your gift, to hone into your gift, to discover who you are. Action creates transformation. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we honor you today. We honor your word. And I thank you. Thank you for challenging us as we just so close to a new year and new opportunities. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. We want to be like the wise man who heard and put into practice what he heard. And God, you're building something that's going to outlast us. Legacy, ministry, family, integrity. It's bigger than us. We honor you for it. Forgive us for getting distracted. Forgive us for being... so disconnected with what your heart wants for us.
Come on, in this room, God's just reaching for you. God's calling you back in to action. You remember what it was like to walk in cadence with him and walk in sequence with him and hear his voice and be close with him and feel close to him. It's a renewal today. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want to pray with you. I want to pray a prayer that can change your life if you'll pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You died for me. Your grace is reaching for me. There's no coincidence in your kingdom. I believe that I'm here by appointment to hear this message, to open doors for my future, for a life that will stand the test of time. And no matter what storm comes, I will stand. In Jesus' name, I choose to follow you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you want to make that proclamation a step, a simple one, by raising your hand and just saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to say yes to following Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Four or five hands. That one motion that can change everything. Come on, let's celebrate those five people that raised their hands today. Amen. God bless you.